If you have your Bibles, please turn to, flip to, scroll to, press 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament, first half of your Bible. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, before we get into 2 Samuel 23, which we're going to be finishing up today, uh, we also want to let you know about something that's happening next week. Everyone say next week. Next week, super excited for a brand new series that we're doing here at Thrive on relationships. It's called, Is It Love? Ever turn your and say, Is It Love? Is It Love? It's about uncovering the misunderstandings that keep us from having healthier relationships. Uncovering those misunderstandings that we might bring into a relationship or sometimes we can get into when we're in relationships that keep us from experiencing real love. And so if you could use some encouragement, some help when it comes to that, you know a friend who could as well. Next week, we're starting that. We're so excited for it. It's called Is It Love? We can't wait to start that next week. Well, that's next week. Let's talk about today. See, over the past several months, we've been looking at the books of First and Second Samuel together. And in particular, we've been studying the life of someone called David. And today we're finishing up our look at the book of Second Samuel. That's why we're in Second Samuel chapter 23 toward the end of that book. And the message, in case you're taking notes today, the message I'm here to share with you is called The Last Word. The Last Word. Word. And the reason why we call it the last word is a couple reasons. First, because this is the last message in the series that we've been looking at, First and Second Samuel. So if you've been benefiting from the series at all, we'd love to hear your feedback later on on this. We'll give you a link on, on where you can send your feedback. So it's our last message. That's why in some ways it's the last word. But the second thing is that today we're looking at the last words of David. The last words that he purposely spoke before he died. Now, before I show you David's last words, I want to show you the last words of some famous people in our world, and I want to see if you can guess who said these last words. Are you ready? Now, admittedly, some of these last words are funny. Some of these last words are tragic. Some of these last words are touching. But each one of them has, I believe, a lesson built into them. We won't get into all those lessons today, but here are some last words from some famous people. Here's the first one. Uh, Surprise me. Who wrote or who said, surprise me? Well, the last words of this man were, surprise me, this man is Bob Hope. Bob Hope, he was an American actor and comedian. He died in 2003. But before he died, his wife, his wife Dolores asked him, hey, Bob, where do you want to be buried? And his last words were, surprise me. I think that's kind of cute. Surprise me. Here's another one. You be good. I love you. See you tomorrow. Who said this? Well, it's a bit of a trick question because these weren't the last words of a human being. These were the last words of an animal. It's Alex the Gray Parrot. Uh, On September 6, 2007, Alex the Gray Parrot said, you be good, I love you, see you tomorrow. In fact, he said that every day for years because Alex was a prodigy kind of parrot. And uh, in fact, the name Alex was apparently an acronym for Avian Learning Experiment. Uh, And so for years, they trained this parrot to speak, to memorize, to learn. And he would always end the day by saying, you be good, I love you, see you tomorrow. And in fact, that's how he ended his life as well. That was his last words. You be good, I love you, see you tomorrow. That's Alex the Gray Parrot. Here's another one. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. This one has become kind of famous just because of who it is. Uh, This is Steve Jobs founder of Apple, and he said this when he was on uh, his, uh, you know, deathbed looking at his family. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Here's another one. I can't breathe. 
this one we could t take a long time to discuss, but uh, one person who said this was Eric Garner. He was a black American man, uh, a horticologist. He was placed in a chokehold by a white NYPD officer. And he said, I can't breathe, not just once, but seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 times until he died of suffocation. Six years later, there's another black man called George Floyd who was on the ground in Minneapolis when a white police officer again kneels on his neck for over nine minutes and his last words were the same, I can't breathe. In fact, the New York Times, I don't know if you know this, but in 2020, they came up with a report and they found that actually over 70 people have been reported as using that phrase as their last words before dying in police custody. And so now these words, I can't breathe, are used to protest racism, especially against black people. Uh, it's also used to protest police brutality. Those are, uh, you know, uh, some very, uh, very powerful blast words. I can't breathe. Here's another one. Uh, depression. Many thanks to all my friends. Many thanks to Professor Felice Liamak. This year has been so tough. I can't stand it anymore. Many thanks to Tong Tong. Many thanks to my family. Many thanks to Sister Faye. In my life, I have done nothing bad. Why does it have to be like this? Do you know who said these last words? Well, uh, there was a Hong Kong singer and actor called Leslie Cheung. And in his suicide note, this is what he wrote before taking his life. Here's another one. What do you think I'm going to do? Blow my brains out? Uh, who wrote these words or who said these words as their last words? Well, this is a guy called Terry Cap. He was a singer and a musician, part of the band Chicago, which was very popular in the 70s and 80s. This is what he said just before putting what he thought was an unloaded gun to his forehead and pulling the trigger just for fun. Here's another one. Thank you for all your support. Oh, sorry. Thank you all for supporting my content over the years. If I had another hundred lives, I think I would choose to be Technoblade again every single time, as those were the happiest years of my life. I hope you guys enjoyed my content and that I made some of you laugh. And I hope you all go on to live long, prosperous, and happy lives because I love you guys. Technoblade out. Now, we've kind of given away the answer on this one. The person who said these words, wrote these last words, was a guy called Technoblade. That was his YouTube name. Um, he was an American YouTuber who, uh, on his father's laptop, wrote these words uh, hours before he died of metastatic sarcoma, which is kind of cancer. And his father was the one who read out this message in a final video on his account called So Long Nerds. Uh, just a few more. One more is, good night, my love. Who wrote that or who said that? Those are the last words of Robin Williams, the American actor and comedian who said those words to his wife uh, just prior to taking his life. Here's another one. Save my son. If you don't follow professional wrestling, then you probably won't know who said this. Uh, Save my son was said by a wrestler called Shad Gaspard. And when he and his son were swimming in the ocean, they caught a swell that caused both of them to really struggle. Both of them were drowning. When the Coast Guard came, Shad Gaspard said, save my son. And the Coast Guard came and they saved his son. But by the time they got to Shad, it was too late. Those were his last words. Save my son. Finally, uh, this one, uh, the last words of this person, Alan. Alan is the last word. Who's the person who said it? Well, the person who said it is Betty White. Betty White, she's an American actress. She died back on December 31 of 2021. And I find that the touching thing about this last word of hers is who's Alan? Alan is Betty's husband who died back in 1981. So 40 years before Betty had died, uh, her husband had already died. But in you know, 2021, when Betty is on her deathbed, 
Her last word is her husband's name. She said Alan as her last word. See, why am I showing you the last words of these various people? It's because today as we finish up our look at the book of 2 Samuel, we are looking at the last words of David, who was a shepherd boy who in a very improbable way became the king of Israel and Israel's most beloved king. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at 2 Samuel 23, which is purposed to be David's last words. Now, were these really David's last words? Because you're going to see that these last words come in the form of a poem. Now, you got to know this is, in addition to being a king, David was many other things. David was a poet. He was a songwriter. In fact, he was the most prolific songwriter in Israel's history. Half of the book of Psalms is all by him. And see, some believe that these last words that we're going to read from 2 Samuel 23 were David's last poem. It was David's last song. Not necessarily maybe his last words before he died, but the last song he ever wrote. Now, whether these were actually David's last words, really last words, or the last song David wrote, the fact is we're going to look at these words today, and I think we're going to learn some powerful lessons in the process. Let's read David's last words, and then let's unpack them together. Let's read 2 Samuel 23. Would you show me that you're with me by reading this out loud in a big, loud voice with you right now? Verse 1 says, These are the last words of David the oracle of David's son of Jesse, the oracle of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. Is not my house right with God? Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire? But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They are burned up where they lie. You know, one reason why we find it interesting to read or hear a person's last words is because we think that we can get a clue into what that person was thinking and feeling before they actually died. And in David's last words, we see that David had three things on his mind. These are the same three things that many people think about when they know their time on earth is coming to an end. Three things that David thought about. The first is his legacy. In other words, what have I done with my life? His legacy. The second is his family, is who am I leaving behind? And the third is eternity. Where am I headed after all this is done? See, David thought about those three things, his legacy, his family, and he thought about eternity. And in this case, we see him speaking about all three of these things in his last words. But there's more to David's last words than that. Because like you, David wears many hats. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we saw that David, he puts on what's called a linen ephod, which is a priestly garment. It's a garment that a priest would wear when they're leading people in worship. And in 2 Samuel 6, that's exactly what David does. He puts on this priestly garment called a linen ephod, and he starts to lead his people in worshiping God. On that particular day, David wasn't just a king, he was a priest. Now here in 2 Samuel 23, David is taking on another role. He's wearing another hat now. Because not only is David the king of Israel, but here David is taking on the role of a prophet. Look at verse 1 with me once again. It says, these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man exalted by the Most High. See, what's an oracle? If you don't want to know what an oracle is, an oracle is a prophetic 
utterance. It's a word that Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, you know, you know, Malachi, Zechariah, even Balaam, they would all use this word oracle to describe the message that they believed God had placed on their heart for the people. And so David, he used the same word oracle to describe the words that he's about to say. And so what's David doing? He's stepping into the role of a prophet. And so here in 2 Samuel, we see that David, he is a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king. 1,000 years later, a descendant of David would arrive on the scene, and he too would be a prophet, a priest, and a king. His name is Jesus. And you could see as if that David in 2 Samuel is foreshadowing in an imperfect way the roles that Jesus later on would play perfectly for us as prophet, priest, and king. If you believe that, say amen. And see, if, if there was any doubt that David believed he was speaking the words of God when he wrote these words, you read verse 2 and 3 with me again. It, was, it, says, it says, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me. So in other words, David is writing down these words, and he doesn't believe that these are just his words. He really wholeheartedly believes that the Spirit of God is speaking through him and to him in a prophetic way. Now, in case you're wondering, the idea that the Bible is not just humans' words, not just the words of people, but it is the inspired word of God, there's a name for that. It's called the doctrine or teaching, the doctrine of divine inspiration. It's this idea that the words we find in our Bibles are not just words that human beings thought of and wrote down, but that somehow in a powerful, mysterious way, that these were somehow God's words, that God inspired these people who wrote to write what God wanted them to write, such that these are God's words and not just people's words. And so when the New Testament says that all scripture is God-breathed, it's the idea that these words are not just human words, that somehow mysteriously, in this mysterious way, that these are somehow God's words to us. And maybe you're here, you've got questions about the Bible. And you know, how can the Bible be God's word? You know, isn't the Bible full of mistakes and contradictions? Or, you know, isn't the Bible, you know, something that's been changed over the years, over the centuries? Aren't the Gospels full of, you know, legends and myths of stuff that didn't really happen? You know, didn't people make up stuff in the Bible for just political reasons to kind of push their own agenda? You know, how about other books that never actually made it into the Bible? What about those? If you've got those kind of questions about the Bible, then I highly recommend that you check out a message that we did on February 2020 called, Can I Really Trust the Bible? And my hope is that through that message and other resources that you will see that there is really good reason to believe and trust the Bible. See, whereas the doctrine of divine inspiration is something that Christians believe today about the Bible, you might ask, you, where does that even come from? When, when did Christians start believing that? Well, it actually, in many ways, it starts with Jesus himself. Look at Mark 12, 35, for example. Look at what it says. It says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. What's going on here? See, Jesus in the New Testament, he is quoting the Old Testament. In particular, he's quoting Psalm 110. And notice when he quotes Psalm 110, Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, this is just what David wrote, or this is just what David said. Rather, what does he say? He says, David, speaking by the Holy Spirit. Notice that? 
speaking by the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying this, is that this was what David wrote down, but it was the Holy Spirit who inspired him. So these are not just David's words, these are God's words. That's Jesus' take on Psalm 110. And that, in a nutshell, is how Christians see the Bible. It's the idea that the Bible is something where imperfect human beings are used by a perfect God to write down his word such that what we have today is the word of God. That's why in 2 Samuel 23, David says in verses 2 and 3, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me. Now, what exactly did God say to and through David? Well, this is what he says in the rest of verse 3. It says, when one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. Like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. What's that about? What's David talking about? Or if this is God speaking to and through David, what is God talking about? Well, what, what's going on? They're talking about leadership. They're talking about the difference that a righteous leader can make in people's lives. Someone who fears God, who wants to do the right thing. The difference that a good leader makes. You know, lately, I find that the the weather in Vancouver has been a little dark, a little cloudy, don't you find? It's been like, you know, just one of those things where every day it's kind of the same thing. And that yet... In this past week, there's those, those special moments where the sun comes out, and you can see it past the clouds. And I don't know about you, but for me, maybe because I'm kind of affected by weather sometimes, I just find when, like, life just feels different when the sun is out. Don't you find that? And it's in verses 3 and 4, they're saying something similar. that Just like the sun on a cloudless day brings light, warmth, hope, joy, excitement, energy, strength, life, when a leader leads righteously in their home, in their workplace, in their relationships, on a team, in their school, when a leader leads righteously with the goal of honoring God, the effect it has is it brings light, it brings life, it brings warmth, it brings hope, it brings energy, it brings joy to the people around them. If you believe that, say amen. And see, that's the kind of leader that God wants every leader to be. That's the kind of leader God wants you to be. And see, you might be, well, but JB, I'm not a leader. Well, no, you are. You're a leader. The fact is this, leadership is influence. And if you have the ability to influence anyone, then you are a leader. And so in your home, in your workplace, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, in your school, on the team that you serve on, you have influence that God made you to use to honor him and to make a difference for good. And when you do, when you lead well with wisdom, with self-control, with joy, with you know, confidence, with courage, what happens with humility, what happens, you have light, warmth, strength, joy, hope, you know, life that you, you basically bring to other people through your leadership. Blessed is the home where people want to honor God, not just in what they do, but the how they do it and how they treat one another. Blessed is the workplace that does the same thing. Blessed is the church that, where that happens. Blessed is the team or the school where that happens, where people really want to honor God and love one another well. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. And here's a question for you. Why would God talk to David about leadership at the end of his life? This is the kind of thing you would probably expect if David was just becoming king. He was just starting his reign. But he, start, he says this to David at the end. Why? Everyone here who's been following through our series, you know that David's not the perfect leader. He did some wonderful things. He did some awful things. And so he's kind of a mixed bag like you and me, good and evil. And so are verses 3 and 4 God's report card on David, on his leadership? Oh, yeah, you you weren't that, or you were that. 
Is he criticizing David? Is he praising David? Maybe neither. Because you ought to keep this in mind, is that this is not just God's last message to David, but this is God's last message through David. This is not just a message for David, but even more, it's a message for those coming after David. So this could very well be a message for Solomon, David's son, who would take on the throne after David. Even more, it could be a message pointing to someone even further down the road. Remember last week, we talked about how God promised to David that one day, after David is dead and gone from this earth, a descendant of David would take the throne, and he's called the Messiah, and he would reign forever. And this Messiah would rule righteously in the fear of God. This Messiah would be human, and yet at the same time, people would call him mighty God, everlasting father. This Messiah would die for the sins of his people. Somehow this Messiah would rule a kingdom that's not just composed of Jewish people, but from people of every nation, a kingdom that would last forever. That's the promise that God gave to David. And the fact is, one of the more I look at verses 3 and 4 here in 2 Samuel 23, and when I look at how that fits into the biblical story, the find, I find this is that the, I find that this is quite possibly a picture of this son of David that God promised would come one day, and how this Messiah would be like a bright morning sun on a cloudless morning, ruling righteously and bringing blessing everywhere he goes. It's no wonder that when you go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, Jesus calls himself the bright morning star. Look at Revelation 22, 16. It says, it says, I, Jesus, am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. You see that connection? So let's keep on reading. Verse five, what does it say? Second Samuel 23, verse five says, is not my house right with God? Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire? So the first thing that David writes about in his last words, he writes about legacy. He writes about leadership. What have I done with my life? Next, David's mind turns to his family, who he's leaving behind. And he writes this. He says, is not my house right with God? See, earlier when we surveyed the last words of some various people, notice how many of them talked about their family or talked to their family. You've got Betty White calling out the name of her husband who had already died 40 years before. You've got, you know, a Hong Kong actor, Jackie Chung, who's, who's, who's thanking, or Leslie Chung, who's, who's thanking his family right before he dies. You know, it goes to show that in our dying moments, if we know we're about to die, what we want close to us, what we're thinking about probably more than anything are our loved ones and who we're leaving behind. It's our family, it's our friends. And see, I've never gone to a hospital and visited someone in their last moments and heard them say, bring me my investment portfolio that I might admire it one last time. Or, you know, bring me the fob to my Tesla and the keys to my house that I can hold them one last time. Or, or bring me my, you know, my clothes and my jewelry that I would wear them one last time. Bring me, you know, bring me my report card and my resume that I could admire myself one last time. No, you know what, what they do? They want their family with them. They want those closest. When Steve Jobs, with his dying breath, said, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, he wasn't talking about or looking at the iPhone that he created. He was looking at the children that he created and was now leaving behind. See, in our dying days, our thoughts naturally turn homeward to family. And that's what was happening in David's case, too. See, keep this in mind. In the greatest trials, the greatest you know, pain that David ever experienced had to do with his house, his family. See, outside the family, David was a star. Like, he battled, you know, giants. 
He defeated so many enemies. He conquered nations. And yet the battles that hurt David the most, the battles that left David the most wounded, the battles that gave David the hardest time that he just could not sometimes conquer were his battles at home. Is that for as courageous as David was on the military battlefield, as competent and confident as he was when he was singing songs and playing instruments and speaking on a stage, David was not so confident when he was at home when it came to his family. Do you find that as well? Is that maybe when it comes to your abilities at work, you're very confident. When it comes to, you know, a certain sport you play, you're very confident. When it comes to your profession or your studies, you're very confident. When it comes to your area of expertise that you've studied years in, you're very confident. But when it comes to relationships, you feel like, I totally don't know what I'm doing. You feel like, you know what, I'm at a loss as to what I'm doing. I have no idea how to get through to that person. I have no clue how to love that person. That was David. And see, when, when we first meet David as a boy, you know, you'll remember that he had a strained relationship with his family even back then. And, and later when David gets married, you know, David made some big mistakes as a husband. He had an affair. He abandoned his wife. You know, as a, as a dad, he was also absent from his children's lives. And so these mistakes at home would cost him the greatest pain and the greatest trouble for him and his family. And see, not just for David, but for a lot of us. A lot of us, we find that our biggest pain Our greatest trials have to do with what happens at home, with our closest relationships. I don't know about you, I find that that when my relationships at home or with my family are strained, that to me is more stressful than anything that could happen at work. That to me is more stressful than, that's more painful than this sore on my lip. And I don't know where, why it's there, but it's more, I, I, it's like, man, I would take more of this than more of that. Because you, I don't know about you, but I find that relationship stress is on another level of stress. Do you find that? And see, life might otherwise be going really, really well, but when your relationships are not doing well, then it's almost like you can't even enjoy anything anymore. And that's why next week we're starting the series on relationships, because I believe we all need help when it comes to having better relationships. If you believe that, say amen. And see, as painful as David's family life was, here in David's last words, when David speaks about his his house, notice how David speaks. He's not complaining about the pain, but he's celebrating something. He's not talking about how hopeless the situation is. In fact, he's pointing to hope. Look at verse 5. It says, Is not my house right with God? Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire? See, despite how painful his family life had been, David could still, at the end of his life, look at his family with hope. And do you know why? It's because David knew God had given him a promise. God had given him a promise about his family. And that promise was this. God said to David, I will build your house for you and it will be established forever. And see, because God gave David that promise, God was saying, you know what? You don't have to worry. You don't have to think it all depends on you. You can give it to me. Maybe that's what you need to do today is to stop trying it all, trying to figure it all by yourself, but give it to God and learn to listen to God and trust God in that area. See, God promised to David that through all the ups and downs that he and his house would ever go through, that they will be safe in the end. And see, that promise got great comfort to David so that instead of worrying about his family so much, he could trust God. And trust that God is in control, it's his promise. And that it's not his mistakes regarding his family that will have the last word on his family. It's God's faithfulness that will have the last word. Amen. And see, in an area of great pain, God came to David and showed his power. In the same way, the lesson for us is this. In the area of your greatest pain, 
God wants to show his power. You know, if you follow Jesus long enough, you're going to find that very often your greatest ministry, your greatest impact has to do with something about your greatest pain. You're going to find that. Is that God never wastes a hurt. And so if you're going through a painful time right now, you got to know this. God is not done with your story. Is that you want to see that test you're going through as a testimony that's in the making. You want to see the pain you're going through as a painting that God is still working on. You want to see the struggle that you're going through right now as a story that God is still writing for his glory. It's because God is not done with your story. Turn to me and say, God is not done. God is not done. It was God's promise that gave David hope for his house. But notice, God, David doesn't use the word promise when he talks about it. You know what word he uses? He, words, he uses another word. He uses the word covenant. Look at verse 5. It says, Is not my house right with God? Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant? See, what is a covenant? Maybe you've heard that term before, but you're not really sure how it applies in the Bible. Well, let me tell you what a covenant is. A covenant is really two things. First, a covenant is a promise that's intended to be legally binding. It's a promise that is extra serious because it has legal effect. It has legal weight. It's a promise that's binding legally. A second way of looking at a covenant is that it can also refer to an agreement between two parties or two people. And see, in the Bible, God makes different covenants with different people. So many. In fact, I would love to do a series one day here at Thrive talking about the covenants that God has gotten into with people, including with us, because we learn so much about who God is, how he relates to us, his heart. But we'll do that one day, hopefully. But let me just mention three covenants that God makes with his people in the Bible. The first one we already talked about. It's his covenant with David. God promised David, there's going to be a son of yours, someone who comes from your own body, a descendant of yours, after you're dead in God, who will be a ruler, who will rule forever. And that's sometimes called the covenant of David, the Davidic covenant. But there's two other covenants worth mentioning today. There's what's called the old covenant also known as the covenant of Moses, because God started it through Moses. And what was that old covenant like? The old covenant went like this. God says to his people, you be faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. And so you obey me, I will bless you. That's the covenant, the old covenant between God and his people established through Moses. You be faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. But what was the problem with that old covenant? The problem is that the people could never live up to their part of it. The people could never bear the weight of that covenant because they could not always be faithful to God. So while God was always faithful, the people weren't always faithful. And this was through their disobedience, through their rebellion, that the people basically broke the covenant. The old covenant was broken through disobedience. And in fact, the same could be said about us today is that God wants to be with us, wants a relationship with us, wants to bless us, but we rebel against him and our sin separates us from God. And our fate is actually pretty well described in verses six and seven of 2 Samuel 23. It says, but evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses the tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They're burned up where they lie. It's this idea that because of our sin, we can't have anything to do with God. We, well, our fate is just to be burned up and separated from God forever. That's what we deserve because of our sin. But because God did not want to be apart from us, because God wants to bring life to every person he's created, God said, you know what? I'm going to cut a new covenant with you. I'm going to do a new thing with all of you. And he actually talks about it in the Old Testament. Look at Jeremiah 31. It says this. Read it with me. It says, the time is coming, declares the Lord. 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people. They will all know me, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So there's Jeremiah the prophet, who in the Old Testament, he's looking forward to the day when God's going to make a new covenant with his people. And he's saying that it'll be a covenant where their laws are on their minds. My, my laws are on their minds and written on their hearts. I will be their God. There will be, there will be a relationship, something personal going on. And then in Ezekiel 36, the prophet Ezekiel talks about the same new covenant. He says it this way. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so again, it's this idea that God is one day going to create a new covenant where it's not just about obeying rules and laws, but it's about how God's spirit somehow lives in the people. A new heart, a new spirit in us. And see, God was saying, it's a new covenant. It's a new deal. It's a new relationship. It's closer. It's more intimate. And most importantly, it can't be broken. And do you know why? How is it possible that this covenant can't be broken? It's because this new covenant is not dependent anymore on people and their faithfulness. Otherwise, it's going to break just like the last one. Instead, this new covenant is dependent on the obedience and faithfulness of a son that will be born to David. A son that would come and fulfill all of God's requirements. His name is Jesus. And see, this son, Jesus, would do on our behalf three things to make this covenant possible. First, on our behalf, he will live the perfect life. The life that met all of God's requirements. He's bearing the weight of the covenant. And then... He's going to do the second thing. He's going to die on the cross to pay for all the ways that we've messed up. All the ways that we've sinned and rebelled against God. Jesus, the son, is going to pay for that. He's bearing the weight of the covenant. And then third, to show that this son has the power to keep this covenant alive forever. Not only did this son live, not only did this son die, but this son rises again from death. And he's now, the Bible says, in heaven where he reigns forever. He's bearing the weight of the covenant. Amen. And see, who's the son? It's Jesus. That's why at the Last Supper, Jesus, he takes a cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's, he's saying it because he's, something, he's establishing a new deal. He's saying, you know what? That old covenant where if you disobey God, then you need to be cursed. That old covenant is gone. The old is gone. The new has come. I have the last word. And now because of that new covenant, our sins don't separate us from God anymore. Now because of that new covenant, instead of being condemned by God, we have acceptance from God. Instead of you know, trying to live in our own power, now we have God's spirit living on on the inside of us. Instead of dying to, because of our sin, we live and we've got eternal life. And the covenant can no longer break because who's holding it together? It's not us. It's the Father with the Son together and us on the Son's back. Oh, come on. If you believe that, give God some praise this place together right now. Amen. So this new covenant, everyone say a new covenant. This new covenant that God makes with us is so much better than the Old Covenant. In fact, the fact is that that's not to say that the Old Covenant, you know, just totally sucked and, you know, just no point to it. No, they all had a person. In fact, you'll find that they, one builds upon the other. Let me just show you a little graphic here. You got the Old Testament, you got the Old Covenant, you've got the Covenant of David, you got the New Covenant. You know they're all linked together? 
This is the, you know, the old covenant says, you know, be faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. We couldn't do it. And so God says, I'm going to give David a son. I'm going to promise this son to David, and this son is going to start a new covenant. And then when Jesus arrives, he starts that new covenant. You could say that the covenant of David was that bridge that got us to the new covenant. Is that the son that God promised to David is the same son that established the new covenant. His name is Jesus, and he did it for you and for me. It's all related. It builds one on top of the other. God's everlasting covenant with David made possible God's everlasting covenant with us. And the reason why God made the covenant with David was ultimately so that he could make a covenant with us. That's how David's covenant relates to us today. And see, like almost a river of blood that leads into an ocean, David's covenant is that for us. David's covenant, which he made with David, or which God made with David, literally bleeds into our new covenant with God through the blood of Jesus. See, praise God. It's no wonder that David he catches a glimpse of all that's going to happen. And he says here in verse 5, Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire? Because now, because David has received this covenant, he's like, I have confidence. I have confidence in the covenant. And you too, you can have confidence in God's covenant. Why? Well, it says it right there. First, it's because it wasn't us who made the covenant. It was God. It says, has he not made the covenant? God made it. If I made this covenant for us, man, we're in trouble. You know, I, I, I like making contracts, but man, you don't want me to do this one. This one is way, way beyond any one of us. But praise God, it doesn't depend on any of us. God is the one who made it. Amen. Therefore, you can have confidence about it. Another one, it's not a temporary covenant where just it's a limited time offer. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. Not just that, but it's not this disorderly covenant, which is all over the place, loopholes and all that stuff, but it is arranged. You know, coming from a legal background where I've, you know, for years spent a lot of time drafting contracts, something weird about me is that to me, you know, a lot of people, they, they admire the human body, and I do too, but for me, you know, God is God of order and beauty, and I find this a well-written contract, well, it's a work of art. You could almost take a well-written contract and frame it and put it on the wall, and I'll be the only one who's admiring and go, wow, that is nice. That is nice. And you know what? The greatest contract of all, the greatest covenant of all, it's the covenant that God made with us through Jesus Christ. It is arranged in every part, and not just that, it's secure. It's secure. It's not conditional. It's not something where we have to do something in order to trigger it. And if we don't do anything, then nothing happens. No, it all started with Jesus. And it's secure when we have it in his hands. If you believe that, say amen. That's the covenant. And perhaps most beautiful of all, this covenant, it's for everybody. It's not just for a select few people, but it's for everybody. Whereas no one could stand a chance under the old covenant because all of us have messed up. All of us have sinned. Under this new covenant, everyone has a chance. Everyone gets to benefit from that covenant because it's no longer based on our performance. It's based on the faithfulness of God and his son, Jesus Christ. You know, I heard the story the other day. There's this guy called Dave, and Dave was just an ordinary guy who went to church. And whenever the weather was good, Dave would take a football and he asked his son to go out and play football on the field, on their lawn, outside their house. They would just throw the football. And see, living next door to Dave was an elderly couple who had a son called Mike. And see, Mike by this time was already in his 40s. But the reason why Mike had recently moved into his parents' home was because Mike had cancer. 
And it was an especially devastating kind of cancer where his muscles were atrophying, he was becoming very, very weak. And so Mike needed help doing even just the basic tasks, like, you know, getting up from bed, using the bathroom, showering in the morning, eating meals. And on days when Dave and his son would be out on the lawn throwing the football, Mike would come out in his electric wheelchair if he had the energy, and he'd just watch them play. Over time, Dave and Mike, they became good friends, got to know each other. But eventually, Mike's cancer was getting worse and worse, such that he had to be in the ICU at the hospital. His diaphragm wasn't working anymore. He was having trouble breathing. One night, Dave got a call from his parents, from Mike's parents, saying, Mike's on life support, but they're going to be uh, turning off the life support system in a couple days. Do you want to go see him? So Dave goes to the hospital. And there, Dave finds Mike in this hospital bed, and he's not saying a word. David thought to himself, man, like, what do I say? Like, what do I do? What, what would you do if you're in that situation? He's like, you know, sh should I be here? Like, God, I'm here. Like, now what? Finally, after about half an hour, Mike's eyes start to open, and Dave notices it. And so he goes up to, 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 to Mike, and he doesn't really, still doesn't really know what to say. And see, by that point, Mike's voice was so weak that he could barely whisper. And so the way that Mike, by this point, would communicate was through facial expressions and through squeezing people's hands. Kind of like, you know, one squeeze is a yes, two squeezes, maybe a no, that kind of thing. Or just like, he'll, he'll do this. And Dave asked Mike, you know, when they shut off all these machines, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And Mike whispered, I think so. And see, Dave didn't want to challenge Mike's answer at that time. But Dave could also sense that Mike wasn't really sure himself. And so Dave started to tell Mike about Jesus, how Jesus died on the cross for our sins, how he rose again from the grave, that God loves us, and that's why he sent Jesus for us. And at the end, David asked Mike, hey, can, can we pray together? And Mike nodded. So what happens is this. Dave, he takes Mike's hands into his hands. He cups his hands in his hands, and he starts praying for Mike. And whenever Dave prayed something that Mike could really resonate with, that he really agreed with, Mike would squeeze Dave's hand. And so his amen was a squeeze. And so the prayer kind of looked like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for Mike. Squeeze. Dear Jesus, thank you that you made a way for Mike to know you. Squeeze. Today, Mike wants to open his heart and receive you, Jesus, as his Savior and his Lord. Squeeze. And thank you that because Mike believes you to be his Lord and Savior, he will spend the rest of eternity with you. Long squeeze. Long squeeze. You know, at the end of that visit, David, Dave, he waves goodbye to Mike. And Mike had this big smile on his face. And a couple of days later, they turn off the machines Mike passed away. At the funeral, David met with Mike's parents. And Mike's parents said, hey, Dave, can you come over here? And Mike's parents said to Dave in private that before they were about to turn off Mike's machines, the night before, Mike's parents were with him in the room. And on a pad of paper, Mike wrote his last words. And those, those last words are here. Uh, he says, yesterday, Dave and I prayed a big prayer. Everything's okay now. Yesterday, Dave and I prayed a big prayer. Everything's okay now. And see, I'm here to let you know 
that when you have Jesus Christ in your life, everything will be okay in the end. Maybe not immediately, maybe not in the present moment, but when you have Jesus Christ in your life, everything will be okay in the end. You know, maybe today you feel like you're dying in some way. Maybe you're battling depression. Maybe it's been going on for a really long time. Maybe you've just gone through a really difficult breakup. Maybe you're struggling financially in your business. Maybe your marriage is really rocky right now. Maybe there's someone in your life who's struggling and you have no idea how to help them anymore. You thought you did, but now you're just at a loss. I have no idea how to help this person anymore. Maybe there's some other uncertainty in your life, in your health, the health of someone you love, and it's really scary for you right now. Can I tell you this today? When you have Jesus Christ, everything is gonna be okay in the end. Like David, you can say, has God not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation and my every desire? See, in this new year, you can have some new clothes to wear. Those new clothes, it's called God's new covenant with you. Maybe you can relate to the story that I just shared. Maybe like Mike, if you had to ask yourself, you know, am I sure I'm going to heaven after all this is done? And if you're not sure, then I can tell you this. You can be sure through Jesus Christ. You can be sure when you have Jesus Christ forgiving your sins, when you ask him to do so. That way, when you've got Jesus, pain doesn't have to have the last word in your life. Loss doesn't have to have the last word in your life. Bitterness doesn't have to have the last word in your life. Shame doesn't have to have the last word in your life. But God's love, his peace, his hope, his covenant, they have the last word on your life. Amen. Let's all stand as we close today. You know, maybe like Mike, if you had to ask yourself, am I going to heaven? Your answer is, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure. And if you're not sure, then I couldn't think of a better thing that you can do today, right now, so that you can be sure. And that is to ask Jesus Christ for his forgiveness. Because we broke our covenant with God, but Jesus never broke his. And when we jump on Jesus, when we piggyback on him, when we rely on him and say, Jesus, you save me and you keep this covenant for me, then guess what happens? Is that we become beneficiaries of this new covenant with God, where forgiveness is possible, where eternal life is possible, where hope, peace, a relationship with God are possible. And so with every head bowed and everybody closed, if you realize that that's exactly what you need, that you need God's hope, you need God's peace, you need God's forgiveness, and you wanna wear the clothes of this new covenant, then I'm gonna encourage you to take a little step of faith by praying a prayer. It's a simple prayer, but if you mean it from your heart, it's one of those powerful things you could ever do. So with every head bowed here on site, those of you online watching, if you wanna pray this prayer, I'm encouraging you to do this one thing right now, just as, a, uh, as an expression of your sincerity, why don't you just lift your hand to God right now? This is between you and God. Lift your hand right to God right now. One of our team members might come to you with a little card with a prayer on it that we're going to pray. Those of you online that you want to pray this prayer, click the link that's in your chat room and we'll take you, it'll take you that same prayer. Scan the QR code on your screen. It'll take you the same prayer. And this is our way of letting Jesus' love, His forgiveness, His hope, His peace have the last word in our lives. And so would you just join me in praying this prayer right now? Whether you have that card in front of you or the screen in front of you or not, you can pray this prayer with me right now. Say, dear, say, say, dear, Jesus, dear Jesus, thank you, thank you that because you love me, because you, love you, me. You, died you died on the cross 
to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I opened up my heart and I ask you, please come in. Forgive me of all my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give God some praise? Let's play together right now. If you prayed that prayer, then the Bible says you are in a new covenant with God. You have a new relationship with God. The old is gone. The new has come. Forgiveness has come. Peace has come. Hope has come. Eternal life has come. And one of the ways we celebrate that isn't just by singing songs, isn't just by praying more prayers, isn't just by reading the Bible, but we also do one of the other things called baptism. And baptism is not a graduation, it's a beginning. It's simply saying, I thank God for this new relationship I have with Him. If you prayed that prayer just now, whether you're on set online, we'd love to help you with baptism. Go to mythought.info, press the baptism button. We'd love to help you with that. More information on baptism, all there for you. And we encourage you to take that next step as well. Praise God. Can we give all of our friends who prayed that prayer just now a big hand? Praise God. Hello everyone, welcome to Thrive. My name is Marizal and please let me spend a few minutes to go through some announcements with you and what's coming up here at Thrive. If this is your first time here, we would love to connect with you. We want to give you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle to thank you for spending your time with us. Simply visit mythrive.info and click new to Thrive. We will mail the water bottle straight to your mailing address. If you're on site with us at Lepont Place, we're so honored and grateful that you're here. You can pick up your gift at the Welcome Center tent by the exit door after the service. If you've already taken Getting to Know Thrive Church and the TDS Level 2 class, Growing in Your Relationship with God, I want to encourage you to join us for another course called TDS 3, Embracing Your God-Given Shape, coming up this Wednesday, January 25th. This is a perfect class for those of you who want to learn how to use your strengths and abilities to serve God and build His church. It is a six-week course and fully online. I'm very confident that this course will help you thrive both in your workplace and in the ministries you're part of or going to be part of. To learn more, sign up, please visit mythrive.info. Last but not least, if you're looking for ways to get more connected at Thrive, it's time to get yourself plugged in at the Thrive community by joining a small group or by being part of a serving team. This is the best way to meet new friends and to develop meaningful relationships with others. To sign up, visit mythrive.info. That is all for the announcements today. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythrive.info to support the ministries here at Thrive. And if you're new with us today, be sure to visit us at the Welcome Center tent. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday. Stay blessed.